Hello, world. Welcome to Speed and Strength Show. I'm Tommy. And I'm Christian. And I'm Cole. What food, once it's prepared, is wasted the most? Like, what, what do you think people throw out the most once they actually make the food? My first instinct is like an animal because I feel like a lot of people just extract it for the meat, but then everything else just gets tossed away when you could actually probably still do a lot of things with all the other stuff. True. I was thinking more like, for example, this came about because my wife drinks coffee and there's a lot of times like she'll drink a half a cup of coffee and it's sitting on the counter. So you throw it away. And I'm like, man, coffee the most wasted, you know, products that we have. And so we discussed it a little bit and it's like, ah, oh, but if you think about like French fries at a restaurant, like those things get wasted all the time. So anyway, that's kind of where I was going, like from a, oh, from like, a like food that gets thrown out the most. Yeah. Like what food gets like, you know, do you, do people like eat a little bit of or order and not eat like that kind of thing? Yeah. It's the thing that someone doesn't eat when they go out to a restaurant or cook stuff or things like that. I see what you're saying. Does anyone eat the spiced or pickled ginger that comes with every dish in an Asian restaurant? Does anyone eat that? I'm not going to lie, Tommy. I'm the guy who that's one of my favorite parts about getting sushi is the pickled ginger. Actually, <laughs> Dude, I, I feel like if I go to an Asian restaurant, that's like the plate comes in. I'm like, I don't need this. <laughs> so I'm the guy who's pulling the ginger off every single person's plate when we're over sushi or something. Love it. <laughs> oh, favorite part. Okay, so I guess that's not the at least not between the three of us because <laughs> not for me. Christian's eating all of it if we go out for dinner. Oh, like yeah, that's that's one of the things I think of because I've Aunt Christian, I kid you not, you're the first person I've ever talked to that has actually said they eat that stuff. I love ginger. One of my favorite things. I feel, I feel like it's got to be with the carbohydrate on the plate. Because you think when you go for dinner, like, what do you people do? Like, baked potato, or rice, maybe some of the noodles, or brunch. You know, it's always the hash browns are the last thing to get eaten. Along that sense. Whatever that starchy, kind of not flavorful thing on the plate is always what's not going to go. Yeah, the rice is a good answer. Because I feel like people always, like, they over-prepare the amount of rice, the amount of like noodles, things like that. There's always like an abundance of it. Probably because it's the cheapest. So people are like, well, whatever. If I make an extra bit of rice and toss it, who cares? Or like, I don't know if that, like, there's probably more rice wasted in the world than there is pickled ginger. <laughs> so I, I don't know how to compare it. Like, I bet you 95% of the pickled ginger pickled ginger that's made probably gets thrown out but by volume and weight there's probably substantially more like you said rice potatoes noodles other carbs like that 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 get tossed when it's cheap you know no one's throwing with steak that costs 30 dollars rice is practically <laughs> free you get a giant super store bag of rice for five bucks yeah that's true yeah because when you well even if you're at a restaurant like if you don't finish you know, half your burger or something, like you box it up. But if all that's left is like the fries or the rice, you're not like, yeah, yeah, give me a little bag. I need to, I need to take this home. So 
so were you were you thinking by like by like I, volume coal or was there no yeah metric? like i, I was almost was... thinking like to me it was almost like the number of times like if i go out to a restaurant and i don't eat you know half of my burger that's one time a burger got thrown out and then if you do it like so i was almost going by your pickled ginger example but i mean because yeah, christian's the only guy be. on the planet who eats it okay yeah apparently <laughs> You guys don't know what you're missing out, man. It's fantastic. <laughs> like, I think I've tried it once, but other than that, like, I didn't. I was like, yeah, this is whatever. And I've. Yeah. There's even times, like, if one of my pieces of sushi, like, touches the ginger, it's like, I don't even want that piece anymore. Like, it's just, it's contaminated. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's no good anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I'd have to go with that as my answer then. The pickled ginger. Because I've never seen anyone eat it. But I have to go for sushi with Christian, apparently. And... Okay, next Thursday at Langley there, Tommy. We're going to go for sushi and I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah. show you the ropes. Here. I'll teach you how the West Coasters eat sushi. <laughs> but then what if I like it again? Then we're going to have to fight over it. We're going to be ordering a plate of pickled ginger. Well, and then we're going to do the part two with Cole, and we're going to have to rehash the conversation out here. Yeah. <laughs> and then it'll be two against one the other way, and then Cole will be like, all right, I guess I'll have to try it. <laughs> So, yeah, so as everyone can probably hear, uh, guest today. So we are joined by Cole Hergott, who is the head strength conditioning coach at Trinity Western University, which, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Cole is located in Langley, BC. It is, yep. Okay. I was just, I know Vancouver area, <laughs> everyone just, it's Vancouver, but it's technically in, in Langley. Uh, and this is your... You're going into your fourth year in the role, correct? Fifth year going into Fifth, my, okay. so just finished the fourth. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're joined today by, by Cole. I'll, just, I'll let you introduce yourself, kind of tell a little bit of your, your story, but uh, excited to have him on the show today. Thank you for taking the time to, to be with us. And, you know, we'll, we'll really end up diving into kind of think what has become a bit of your niche is the, the, the weight room culture. Sparta, as it's called, has has a unique feel. I've never been there, but I already know it has a unique feel just from what is on social media, the things that you talk about, the things that you share. And it seems like the culture and the environment there is, is just on a different level. And it's something created uniquely to you and the school and the athletes and, and the space that you've, you've put together. So really excited to kind of dive into that today. But first, I mean, welcome to Cole and, uh, yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of the coaching journey and that you went on and how you how you got to where you are right now at this very point in time. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm I'm super excited to to chat and share. And yeah, so I'm I'm Cole Hergott, head strength coach at Trinity, which yes, is located in Langley, which is well, distance wise is, you know, a stone's throw from Vancouver, but driving it takes about an hour to get there because traffic sucks in Vancouver. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's in the heart of the lower mainland, um, small private Christian university. Um, yeah, I've been here five years. I am originally actually from Saskatchewan. So middle of the country played a bunch of sports growing up. Ice hockey was my, my go-to, um, you know, pursuing the NHL, all those things. And then like 99.9% .9 of us, the dream got crushed and I had to think of something else to do. Um, and at the time, I was actually playing hockey here at Trinity. So I, I 
came out here to play hockey and pursue my kinesiology degree. And at the end of my first year, in which I only played two games, um, my exit meeting with my coach uh, didn't go so well. Um, he basically told me that, hey, we probably don't have a spot for you next year, but you could be like a student strength coach or, you know, those kind of things. Because um, at the time I was, I really loved working out and I was always in the weight room, always doing extra conditioning stuff. So the coach noticed that. So I left that meeting uh, pretty, pretty upset. Um, but obviously that kind of got my mind thinking about some stuff. I had a, a meeting with our current strength coach or like the strength coach at the time, Andrew Hemming. And he, you know, invited me to be a, a student intern and, and work with him. And so basically that's where the, you know, it all started and, and just fell in love with, with training, with strength and conditioning, with all that good stuff as, as we all kind of do and pursued that for, you know, the next three and a half years of my degree graduated and then really wanted to do really wanted to do what I'm doing now wanted to pursue strength and conditioning at the university level I looked into stuff in high school or like the pro setting and it just didn't seem to fit you know what what I wanted and, and kind of my what I perceived to be my skill set and so I went and got my master's or started my master's degree at uh, UBC University of British Columbia which is in Vancouver um, got married, um, did all the all the good young Christian things, and then uh, and then went um, back. Or sorry, then the job opened up here uh, through my name in the hat. They picked me, and and that was yeah five years ago. So here we are. And so you have actually haven't left BC then in that time when you made the move from Sask to BC, and then there's always been something keeping you there, and now now here you are. Yeah. Yeah. I moved. So I, I moved yeah, to Langley. I came back to Saskatchewan in my first, the summer after my first year. And then after that started dating my now wife and yeah, my parents haven't seen me very much since. So yeah. that's kind of the way it works. No, that's awesome. I mean, it's a, a fun journey and you know, you got to, you know, experience, you know, a lot along the way and now you're in a new province uh, entirely. And you kind of mentioned before there was a, a previous SNC. I don't know much about the history of strength and conditioning at Trinity Western. Was are you the second person that's done that? The third or fourth? Like how long has that been kind of around or pr yeah. present in a I guess a formal role at the university? Yeah. So Andrew Hemming started the strength and conditioning program. Well, when he retired it was 19 years. So he probably in well, probably in 2000, I think like in the early 2000s, he started the strength and conditioning program, um, was there. He had an assistant, Adrian Friesen, um, and she started probably in 2010 or so. Um, so they kind of were, they were both part-time. So they, they were both on whatever, like 26 hour contracts kind of thing. Um, and, and then Andrew Hemming stepped down. Um, he had like four kids, was doing more teaching and stuff and kind of stepped into that role. So then we hired Andrew Evans, um, who was a strength coach for Rugby Canada. And he got the job and he was there for two years. So that was in my fourth year. So my senior year, um, I had Andrew Evans as a strength coach. And then Andrew Evans actually started and turns out this is kind of why he got the job at Trinity, but he, he started our rugby program. So while he's a strength coach, he's kind of like behind the scenes starting up rugby. 
And then he, so him and I like obviously chatted a lot. And so while I was at UBC, he kind of gave me the heads up of like, Hey, just, you know, whenever I start this rugby program, that's going to open up the S and C position. So just like keep your ears open. Like I'll let you know. Um, Cause he knew that's kind of what I wanted to do. And then, so he left, well, sorry, stayed, but he left that position. And then, um, but at the time there was still like, he was still only on that part-time contract and Adrian Friesen was still in that part-time contract. So what they actually did was they, they combined those two roles and offered me the full-time position. So I am the first full-time strength and conditioning coach here, but I'm technically like the third or even the fourth staff member. So the reason I asked that was just to kind of get a bit of the history of it, because then you step into this, this role and, you know, all of us have had experience stepping into new roles at, at new places and you have to take on kind of the, the responsibilities as a, as a leader. And I'm sure Cole, that you saw a lot of good things in the time that you were there and there were things that you wanted to keep, you know, in place, but then I'm sure there was something, not that it was bad or needed to be changed, but you are uniquely you. And so there's, you're, you're trying to find, okay, what do I keep and what do I start to shift in the, the opening stages of, you know, the, the new role. So, I'm just curious, that kind of sets the stage for what was the first thing you wanted to to start to implement or the first big rock you wanted to put in place from a a culture and community standpoint uh, at at Trinity Western? So, well, yeah, there's, so I remember there's so many things that I, so many things that I liked, so many things that I wanted to change. The biggest thing for me was structure. So before I started, Basically, strength coaches would come in, and this was my job as like an intern too. You'd show up at 7 a.m., and you know you'd you know you'd stay till well I'd say outside class, but there'd be you know other interns coming in, and you'd kind of just hang around and hope that athletes showed up. Like there was no team times, there was you know none of that. Uh, there was a couple teams that you knew would come in because their coaches were fully bought in. So our women's soccer team at the time, it was like, hey, they're they're going to come in twice this week. We have no idea when, but they're going to come in twice. And so you're kind of just hanging around. So there'd be sometimes I'd intern for like three hours in a row and see like two athletes. And then there'd be times where I'm there for like, you know, a quick half hour block after class and there'd be like 30 athletes roll in. And what we ended up realizing is, you know, all athletes kind of started to come at the same time. You know, like there's kind of a, a lull, I guess, in class times, like right before practice. So everyone would come and lift right before practice. But then we had to turn away some athletes because our weight room isn't very big. So you'd have athletes walk in and there'd be a full, like it'd just be packed. And so they're like, okay, I'm just going to go to the student fitness center, which of course doesn't help culture either. So I started in the, in May of 2019. So I started in the summer. So I had a whole summer to kind of plan things out. And the first thing I did was I kept those open training times for that summer. I didn't want to change up too much, but whenever a group of athletes would come in, I'd be like, Hey, let's go warm up together. Like I'd grab, you know, there'd be like three, maybe four of them. And I'd be like, Hey, let's just go warm up together and let's just start. Or, you know, like if somebody came and I knew someone else was going to come soon, I'd be like, Hey, do you mind just waiting like five minutes just so that we can kind of start as a group? And of course people at the time were like, what? <laughs> like, can, can I just like grab the skipping rope, do a couple reps and then just max out my squat? Like what's going on here? So started to implement that, um, and, and found a lot of, uh, success with that. Like just people really liking a, the structured warm-up, we had, you know, well, I would have to check the stats, but hopefully less injuries, you know, better performance, those kind of things. But just from a, a culture standpoint, it just allowed it to be more 
structured right away. So then starting in that next fall, I did the worst thing in the entire world, which was try to create a schedule, uh, like a, an hourly schedule based on everybody's class times. So I can't even remember how I did it. And I know my wife, who's more of an Excel whiz than I am, helped me. But basically, I got every athlete to send me their availability. And then I worked out, you know, a schedule that, you know, you, you know, Tommy, you would come in Monday, Wednesday, Friday at nine, you know, on the men's track team, Christian, you would come in Tuesday, Thursday at four on, you know, men's rugby, you know, those kind of things. You'd be with a mixed group of athletes, but you would have those set times. And so that was kind of my first step was like, okay, there needs to be some form of structure here so that it, it helps with my time because, um, I was recently married and, and those things. And it's like, I'm not going to stand here, especially in the evening for an extra hour if nobody's going to show up anyway. And so, um, it allowed me to, you know, help my time, help, you know, structure, you know, my interns, but then also helped with accountability and, you know, it helped a million other things. But the biggest thing was now I, I know you're supposed to come in like Tommy, you're supposed to come in Monday at nine instead of, Oh, it's Friday. I guess I haven't seen Tommy this week. Oh, I guess he just decided not to come. So that was one of the biggest things. And it was an absolute nightmare to do it the first time. Like, I don't, I don't recommend doing it that way, but um, that's kind of what set the stage for kind of where we're at now, which is um, team times. So. So how do you guys have it structured in its current state compared to what that initial crack at scheduling the athletes in and scheduling the gym time was? I was like, I imagine, you know, 300 athletes trying to work through class schedules, what kind of nightmare that would be. So what is the current rendition then, Cole? What did that initial kind of let's work with your class schedule then transition into over the last four years that you've been with Trinity Western? So this is where uh, the pandemic actually was was actually a blessing to me for that. So in that first year, I knew I always wanted to go to team training times, but going from open times to team times was a little bit of a jump. So that's where we kind of had that pit stop in the middle. And I got a lot of pushback because, as you know, people like to do their thing when they want to. And so having, yeah, having set times was was difficult. But then the end of that year, so that was uh, the spring of 2020 was the end of that year. So pandemic hits, things kind of get shut down. And then when we start up in the fall, we were allowed to lift, but you had to be within your pod or you had to be within your team bubble. And so that was perfect. It was like, sweet, we have to do team times. Like you're not allowed to lift with anybody else. And because things were online, there wasn't as much demand from a class standpoint. Like you could always just watch your class later. Um, so that way I basically created a structure with the teams based on, uh, based on their practice times. Uh, some coaches, you know, requested morning times, requested evening times, those kind of things. Anyway, came up with that schedule and that's kind of what we've been doing, you know, three years since is obviously it's changed a little bit since we've gone back in person. Like I still like right now I'm actually going through creating this fall schedule and I have the team time set, but now I'm dealing with the issues of, Hey Cole, like I have class during that time, like when other times can I lift? And so it's just kind of, you know, mixing people around a little bit, but um, that's where, yeah, the, if, if one good thing came from the pandemic for me, that, that was it, that it kind of, in, it forced me to do what, what I had to do. And, and we've been rolling that since. No, I think there was a lot of a lot of people that probably took something from the pandemic, at least as much as it was a like a tough time for everybody and was probably filled with a lot of negatives. There was always 
I think one or two things that we were able to pull from. And it sounds like Cole, in your case, it was the, the forced adaptation that, you know, kind of got you the schedule that you were, were looking for. And then you talked about, you know, things were remote and then you were able to kind of come back uh, in person is when did some of the things like the, the headmaster challenge, the other things that you have going on in the weight room, was that a post pandemic once people were back in, or was that something that was started like very early on, or is that something before you even got there uh, that you just continued that, that was one thing I I'd love to know kind of the backstory on, on that. Cause I think that's really cool that you get to be competitive with your athletes in these kind of random games and challenges yeah there's there's so many things that yeah just kind of pop every year it's just like oh let's just do this and then some things stick and some don't so basically the the whole headmasters challenge goes back to why it's the headmaster so when i first started so that first summer um i got my office which i'm in now and there's a little name played out that says like cole hergott and and your job title and so the facility manager at the time was just like, hey, like, like, what do you want it to say? Like, are you like the director? Are you like, what's the thing? And one of my interns was in at the time and she goes, oh, you should put something funny. Like you're the headmaster of Sparta. And so I emailed them that I was like, hey, like put the headmaster of Sparta. And then dot, 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 actually just kidding. Like, this is my first job. I'm young. Like, I want to be professional, put head strength and conditioning coach. So I show up to work the next morning and my nameplate says Cole Hergott, headmaster of Sparta. Oh, no way. And, That's awesome. Yeah, and I, yeah, That's and I awesome. Go, okay, let's just roll with this a little bit. And ever since then, it's it's taken off like like more, yeah, more than a handful of athletes like call me the headmaster. Like that's my name kind of thing. And, and it's super funny. Anyway, so then fast forward to the pandemic and everybody's remote. I'm trying to keep people engaged. And, and obviously some people are better at that than others. And uh, Colin McOslin at Queens was actually doing some challenges with his athletes. I was just watching it on Instagram. I think the first one they had was like, how long can you hold an L sit or something like that? And I thought, oh, that's kind of a cool idea just to get everybody in the department kind of doing the same stuff. And so I basically just started doing it that summer, just throwing it out in our emails, just saying, hey, this week's, you know, headmaster's challenge. I can't even remember why I called it that. But anyway, headmaster's challenge is you know, this and then submit your results. And so people would, you know, how long, I think the first one was like, you'd be in a push-up position with a foam roller on your back and then you'd have to go down to your forearms and back up. And it's like, how many times could you do that before the foam roller fell off? Um, and then I would post that on Instagram, the top like three people. And then it's just kind of kept rolling and, and I've, people love it and I keep doing it all year and I get my interns to come up with ideas and I've never done the same one twice, which I think it'd be cool to redo some ones to see if people actually got better, but yeah, they like, they've ranged from, yeah, well, it's, it's hard to describe them even with words because some of them are, are just crazy, but, but they're, they're, they're safe. None of them you could get hurt doing. You're not going to have doms from doing them. You know, it's just like a fun thing to just compete against. And, and that's really been, yeah, something that's kind of taken off and and we only do it for four weeks out of each semester. So I just pick basically a month out of each semester to do it because I want people to enjoy it. So that week after we don't have it, everybody goes, oh, well, what's the challenge? How come you took it away? And I'm like, this is why I take it away because I want you to want to do it. And then as soon as I bring it back, everybody loves it and and they get little stickers if they were the first 
person on or the top score on their team, they get a little sticker. And if they're the top male or top female, they get like a, a T-shirt or a, a water bottle or just kind of an extra little prize. So uh, it gets it gets pretty competitive, which is uh, it's pretty fun. Well, it's interesting that you found that perfect balance of it's not so often that the monotony starts to kick in between, oh, every week there's going to be a new challenge for eight months of the, the school semester. Or yeah, things like that. For, you do the first month, Cole? Uh, sort of. I try to pick, oh, I'll usually pick kind of the middle of September to the middle of October. Um, and then I'll pick the the in the spring i go the last four weeks before exams so kind of the end of the season so there's a little bit less stuff going on and then it's like hey i know exams are coming but come do something fun in sparta <laughs> yeah get away come have some fun go relax do some little things take along that culture standpoint then a little bit off topic from what you just talked about with the vast array of teams that you guys have in the university sector for those that don't know Canadian you never from hockey to soccer to curling to rugby in the university sector and i don't know exactly what team trinity western has but how do you balance the integration of those teams because obviously soccer players cultures be very different from hockey which be very different from rugby which be very different from track and field how do you integrate those pieces and kind of keep one clear identity of what part is for you guys i think it comes down to just having a, a good sense of well, for me, almost like coaching morals or coaching philosophy and then not being afraid to branch out for those different sports. So for us, like, I don't care what sport or what athlete you are, you need to come on time. You need to wear your, you know, your Spartan shirt. You need to work hard, you know, ask questions, those kind of things. But I'm going to coach a men's basketball player very different than I am a women's soccer player. A women's soccer player, I know, and this is no shade against men's basketball, but I know a women's soccer player wants to get better and I know they're there to improve and I'm, I'm going to coach them a little bit harder. Where some of our men's basketball lifts during the year, it was like me just like being a bro, like just, hey, what's up? Yeah, no, yeah, let's lift. Let's, you know, we warm up together and then it's like, yeah, this is what we're doing. And I'm literally just joking around. Why? Because the culture for men's basketball isn't as strong from a weight room standpoint. And for me, it's, I just need them to come in here. So they showed up, they showed up wearing their stuff. They were on time. And now I just need to get them to want to come back. And so where I keep those same core values with every team I coach, but I'm not afraid to, you know, almost be somebody not. Yeah. Almost be somebody different for each of those teams because I, I know what they need. Like our men's hockey team, they come in when they're 21 years old. So they need something very different from our 18 year old rugby players, even though, both are kind of those, you know, macho, like contact sports, like, hey, let's get after it. But men's hockey has been around the block a little bit. Like they need me to be more of a, a role model and a guide as opposed to men's rugby is like, I actually need to coach them more. So I think that's kind of where it comes down to is, is setting your coaching philosophy, setting your kind of vision for the whole department, staying within that, but not being afraid to bounce back and forth between those walls and not just, you know, be the same dude for every single person, because as we all know, everybody's different. And, and I don't think everybody should be coached the same way. So building on, you know, the fact that you have, how many teams exactly do you have? I know you have a lot of teams. We've but... got, well, yeah, so we've got two, four, six, eight, ten, like 13, if you count so we just got disc golf um, this last year. Um, so if you count that, we've got 13 teams. Yeah. 
13. So like, I'm curious if the, d- did you find when you first got to the, the school, if there was a very like siloed culture between each of the teams in the weight room in the sense that like, did a lot of the teams know one another or, um, you know, was there kind of, oh, we know our team, but we don't know the other teams. Cause I've been at other places before when they have the team type schedule that you sometimes never interact and cross paths with athletes on, on other teams. And so was it a little bit like that when you first got there? And do you think that there has been a change in that for the better because of things like the headmaster challenge, or I saw the other day you started putting up the Spartans and the pros. Um, so now everybody can see like all the different people from different teams that have gone pro. Like I'm sure I'm missing a few things, but the, the weight room, it seems like it's become a place where there's a togetherness. And do you think that those things have helped kind of, you know, build bridges between the teams and the athletes that, you know, otherwise wouldn't have much interaction? Uh, I'm almost on the opposite side. So because when I came in, it was open gym times, athletes were like cross mingling all the time. So there was always just a random group of athletes in. And so when I came in and, and obviously my first year is a little different because they were still mixing a bit. But when I moved more to team sessions, I knew I had to do something to avoid that because same thing I've seen that I've seen, especially schools that have like a football team. It's like the football team and then everybody else. So I didn't want, you know, one of our teams to, or any of our teams to become like that. And so that's where, yeah, I've done things like we've got the headmasters challenge, um, you know, the Spartans and the pros, I've got a, a whiteboard in Sparta where I do a, a poll question. So very similar to the question I opened with, um, where athletes get to vote on that. And I've gotten a lot of good feedback where, yeah, Sparta just feels like a family environment. Like it's just a safe place to go be a Spartan, not I'm a men's soccer player or I'm a men's volleyball player. It's, you know, we're all in this together. We're all doing the same thing. We all get coached by Cole. We all, you know, come lift in the same space. We don't have a, you know, a men's volleyball weight room and a women's basketball weight room. It's everybody does the same stuff. And there is some mixing of teams like, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if an athlete can't make their time, I don't just say tough luck. I move them into another time. So there is a little bit of that. And yeah, it'd be tough to say like there, there might be less. Um, yeah, there, there might be a little bit more of the siloed effect now compared to before I came when it was just kind of athletes lifting whenever. But I think what we've done has has really worked and, and really paid off from a, a yeah across the department and being a and yeah being a smaller and even like a christian school like we do you know we'll we have chapel service so there'll be like athlete chapel or there's times where you know we have like uh whole department meetings and and little things so there's times where everybody kind of gets together and and gets to know each other so there's very rarely a time where an athlete would you know, be in, be in Sparta with another athlete and just like not talk to them or not know who they are. Like they, you know, like, Oh, Hey, you're on the rugby team. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, they get chatting and whatnot. And, and we've actually had this summer alone, I think we've had three or four weddings where our Spartans have gotten married. And a couple of times it's like they got married to other Spartans on other teams. And it's, and a lot of times you trace that back and it's like, well, we met in the weight room. Like that's where we, you know, cross paths for the first time, like things like that. So I definitely say 
Um, there's there's definitely a little bit of the the siloed effect, especially once you get in season, like everybody's kind of got their blinders on. But I think we've done a pretty good job of trying to mix people and, and provide opportunity to um, yeah, have that kind of competition. Because even even like with our headmasters challenge, so I write the names of the the leader on each team. And a lot of times people don't know what the other person looks like, like from the other team. Like it's like, I don't know what Christian looks like, but I just know his score is better than mine. And every time I, I beat his score, he comes in and beats mine. So like this Christian guy, like, you know what I mean? There's kind of that too, where it's just people, people know of each other, which, which is the first step. And I, I think that just helps as well. So in your facility tool, are you able to fit more than one team into the facility at a time? Or is it just volleyball is going to be in its only volleyball at that time? Or it's only basketball. Are you able to conglomerate two different teams or three different teams at one time with the facility? Uh, if they're small teams, I can do one and a half slash two. So the way it works is our weight room is 1,100 square feet. So not very big. Five squat racks. Um, and the huge saving grace for us is across the hall is our gymnasium. So, you know, let's say at 10 a.m. I got a session. I'll take our team. We'll go into the gym as long as nobody's in there. We'll do our warm up and then come back into Sparta. So with five squat racks, I try to keep it at like 15 to 20 people because um, then you've got, you know, three to four people a rack. There are times where it does get way busier than that. Um, like I'll have like men's rugby sessions where sometimes there's like 25 or 30. But once again, the saving grace is the gym is right there. So, okay, we're not just front squatting and then you're sitting around waiting for the other person to to finish or we're not doing, you know, I can't do a front squat with a chin up because our, our chin up bars are being used with the racks because you're doing front squat. So instead we do, you know, we'll do a lot of like complex training or contrast training where we're doing, you know, a front squat with a jump or front squat, even with like a mobility or a core exercise. So now half of the group is in the gym or in the hallway, or if it's nice, they go outside and do it. And that just cuts our numbers right in half. And I actually started doing that. Well, I, I always did that a little bit, but I, I had to do that more during the pandemic where I was allowed to run sessions, but I could only have like seven or eight people in the weight room. Groups of like 20, but I would say, hey, you got to partner up. So Tommy, Christian, you guys are partners. Christian, you're doing front squats. Tommy, you're in the gym doing some mobility exercise. And then Tommy, you got to wait till Christian comes out before you come in. And I kind of just stuck to that system because it worked really well and it allowed me to get more bodies in the weight room. We're seeing you do that because it violates a lot of what you could learn in a textbook. Have an undergrad where it's okay, this is your gym or you're going to do your warm up and you do your jumps and your sprint stuff and you do your heavy lifting and you do your accessory, but you sort of juggle and shift and mix a little bit because facility wise, you have to get people into the gym to, to get the training done. And it's interesting to see kind of how that flows in your guys' weight room in that sense. Yeah, it's. And this is something I tell my interns all the time because they learn things in the classroom and then they're like, hey, how come we do whatever? Because the world isn't like the textbooks. Like at the end of the day, yes, the textbook is correct, but my job is to get an adaptation. My job is to get these kids ready to perform. And so I understand that, you know, it's better to squat before you do, you know, chin-ups or dumbbell bench or, you know, whatever your philosophy is on that. But I have two women's soccer players in during a men's volleyball lift and men's volleyball is and, and everybody's trying to squat. So, OK, I go to those women's soccer players and say, hey, just start with the dumbbell bench 
and then because men's volleyball is not using the benches, then when they're done their front squats and they move on to the bench stuff, their rows and whatever, then you guys go to your squats. And I know, you know, you might be a little bit fatigued and you're, you know, you might not, not be able to hit your front squat as well, like whatever it might be. But once again, I'm not going to get women's soccer A to pair up with a six foot seven men's volleyball guy at the front squat. And B, I'm not going to get them just to, hey, just stand around for 25 minutes, wait till they finish and then go. So it just comes down to logistics and trying to get it done. And one of the best pieces of advice that um, one of my colleagues told me was, you always have to think about optimal, not ideal. Like in this scenario, yes, it'd be awesome if we had a 6,000 square foot facility. It'd be awesome if we had a dietitian. It'd be awesome if we had this. That would be ideal. But this is what you've been given. What is optimal given that scenario? And so that's kind of the constraints I work within. And thankfully, it's, um, well, in my opinion, hasn't come back to bite me in the butt yet. So You mentioned uh, you have the interns. I know you have a, a pretty full staff of, of student help. Uh, I'm assuming most of them are from the, the kin department. I'm sure you have maybe some others from different departments that just have a you know, a passion for, for training and exercise, how do they fit into kind of the culture and the, the I'm going to call it the atmosphere of, of Sparta, because to me, they would play, play an important role because of the, the time, the presence that they have, have in there. So are there aspects of working with your, your intern staff that, you know, are, are they allowed to participate in the headmasters challenge? Do they have, you know, sort of a, a, a is there separate things you've done with them to establish a, a culture and, uh, you know, togetherness with that staff? Is it done in conjunction with everything the athletes are doing? Is it a bit of both? Like, just be curious yeah. to know your, your process with that. Yeah. The internship is, has uh, morphed a little bit in the last few years um, because when I started, so our kin program, you have to get, three uh, leadership credit hours. So it's like 90 hours during your undergrad um, to get it. And so the issue with everything was then I would have, or the strength coaches before me, you basically have kin students walk up and say, hey, I'm going to do my internship with you. And they'd go, sweet, like free help. But with that, you kind of get people that aren't really in it, you know, for the right reasons. They just want to get their credits. And so when I started, I started like an application process. And so now I vet all my interns, you know, they, they apply, we do an interview process and then I accept my team. And so like this semester, I'm going to have uh, 14 interns, which is the largest group I've had. Only one of those is a returning intern. Um, so we're going to see how much I can put on her shoulders. But what I'm finding with the interns is I, I want to grow the internship. So I was one of those interns. And so I, I believe in that kind of process, but I think for them, creating I agree creating a team for them is huge the only issue I run into is probably 75% of them are already Spartan athletes and those are the ones that are kin Spartans they want to do their leadership credits they love the weight room so they're like well I'll hang out with Cole for an extra few hours a week which is sweet but then yeah then when it comes down to like little things like the headmaster's challenge it's like well you're already on like the women's volleyball part my other interns absolutely if they beat me they they put their name up you know, instead of me under strength and conditioning. But um, what we do is is we'll have monthly, well, depending on the group, we'll either do longer monthly pro, uh, pro D meetings or we'll do like bi-weekly shorter ones depending on people's schedule. But that's where everybody comes in and we 
you know, go over cueing certain exercises or coaching or, you know, we'll cover like we have force plates. So we go like, how do you, how do you use those? Like what, what's the data look like, you know, our testing protocols. And those are all, all really good times for interns to interact together. And I've done like field trips. Like we went out to um, Simon Fraser University and, and have, has a presentation from their strength coaches. We went to a physio clinic just trying to, you know, broaden people's horizon. Because what I, what I don't want is I don't want 14 Cole Hergots. I want, you know, everybody to be their own strength coach. And, and yes, I want them to learn from me because I think, you know, what I'm doing is pretty good. And, and it'd be, I'd be honored if people wanted to do what I do. But I think I want people to learn from more than just me as I learn from more than just my strength coaches. But the, the issue is because I have, um, yeah, because I have so many, it's hard to have times where everybody's together or when they're interning, like I don't need four interns on the floor. I need like one with me so that they don't get to interact with each other as much as I would like. So I'm trying to find times to do that. So like, you know, we'll do Christmas parties or we'll do things like that. But um, it's, it's, I tell them that like, they're an extension of me, like anything I do, they can do as far as coaching goes. And so when they're on the floor and they're helping run warmups and all those things, like it's great, but there, there isn't quite that, that mystique around the internship yet. And, and I'm hoping this year, once again, with the biggest group I've had, that it starts to grow because I want, I want it to be, uh, I want it to be a machine and I'm competing against, you know, UBC has got a really good internship program. SFU does. So like, I want people to come to Trinity Western to intern, you know, for me, because they want to be a strength coach instead of, Oh, I'm in my fourth year. I want to do physio and I haven't done my leadership credits yet. So I'll go hang out with Cole because that's typically the kind of interns I get. I want it to be like 15, you know, future S and C's and we're just crushing life. So. How do you, that the learning expectations and learning objectives for your interns, obviously, especially when you have so many in terms of, you said 14 of them, how do you go about that process where it's establishing, hey, like these are the expectations for the internship, this should be your learning objectives, how you should accomplish that, and lay a roadmap for them, sort of lay that road to Rome a bit. I've seen some practices or internships where students are very much left to their own devices, and they're just sort of kind of living in limbo, and there's not much direction given to them to control their learning objectives or to go seek out information, you know, they're not led down that road a little bit. So what's your process with the interns in terms of, you know, guiding their path or saying those learning objectives and expectations and that process to further the development while the internship? Yeah, that has also grown pretty much every year. So in my first year, I reached out to Steve Lidstone and chatted with him a lot because he's kind of the guru of, of internship models. So I took a lot of stuff from him and that's kind of where I got the, like you need to vet your interns, like like um, interview them and, and make them apply and those kind of things. So that's been super helpful. But I think one of the things for me is right away, I, I sat down um, that first summer and kind of wrote out like the objectives of the internship, um, you know, what I want them to learn, you know, what are the, like, what's the dress code? What's like just those simple things that all the interns should know. And then every year I've kind of grown it a little bit more because what I, when I was an intern, I was like, asking my strength coaches like, Hey, what can I do more? Like, Hey, can I help with programming? Like I was always, um, trying to do those things, I guess. And hence what lead me, led me to here, but I'm finding that, you know, not very many of my interns are like that. And if I don't tell them to do anything, like they'll literally just stand there for every single session all semester and not say a single thing. So 
I've had to come up with ways to push people out of their comfort zone, which is actually me getting out of my comfort zone is like telling people to be uncomfortable. Like I'm a people pleaser. So it's like, Hey, you know, if you're good, you know, let's just stay good. But I've had to learn to, to be like, Hey, no, like I actually need you to, to help me. Um, and so what I've done is, is I kind of laid out a bunch of um, objectives or things that I was noticing my interns were missing. So like you don't learn how to coach or cue in class, you know, they, they go over programming, but they don't know how to actually apply it very well. Um, you know, conditioning programming, we don't cover speed stuff. We don't, we don't do. And so I've started to, to accumulate some resources and, and I have our basically curriculum that we have. Um, so this past semester or past year, once again, we had one pro D meeting a month. So we ended up having like nine meetings. And so every month we would just go over a new topic. So first one, uh, is coaching, cueing and spotting. And then we go over like how to run a warm up, and then we do our testing and it kind of aligns with what we're doing. So that testing one falls in November when we do our winter testing at the end of the month before they head off for, for Christmas break. And so I try to make it applicable because otherwise if they learn it and then don't apply it for six months, then they're just going to forget it anyway. And then the second semester is pretty heavy on programming. And so I did that for the last few years and got some really good like uh, interns were learning a lot and they were really appreciative of that, but there was still a little bit missing from the, you know, boots to the ground stuff. And so what I did this last year for the first time was I actually had assignments for my interns. Whereas before, like we have a, a team group chat, like on WhatsApp and I would send them articles and I'm just like, Hey, this is something that I read that was interesting. But now it's like, okay, you know, like you actually, you need to read this. You need to read this and respond to this. You like in the first semester after we do our warm up. Pro D, they all have to lead a warm up and say you like you have to you have to run a session. You don't have to do one ever again in your entire life if that was like absolutely terrifying for you. But I need you to know what it's like to have everybody staring at you, waiting for you to say something, and and know what that's like to command a group that way. And then in the second semester, we go over programming for a couple of um, Pro D meetings, which I'm thinking of even doing more because the amount of questions I get. Like it's like, man, there's just so there's just so much, you know, so much you could dive into with programming. So I, I keep it super simple with them. And then I get them to write to, to pick a scenario or pick a, you know, I'm going to program for an 18 year old freshman women's volleyball player, you know, right before playoffs, whatever it is. And I get them to write just a one week program. Just give me like a three day, one week program. Boom. And then I basically grill them on it. And um, and then we kind of have good conversations that way. So that's the thing I've, I've applied is, is a little bit of assignments because otherwise, yeah, they, they just, they can get lost, especially in the middle of the semester where, like you said, like I've got 300 plus athletes to worry about. And then if suddenly it's like, oh shoot, what about my 14 interns that have just been standing around? So what I, my, my envision for my internship moving forward is I want to retain more, more interns than just one, because what I would love is to have you know, let's say I still have 14 interns, but I've got seven returning ones with seven new ones. And now those returning ones basically each get paired with a new one. And now, yes, I'm overseeing it and doing the pro D meetings. But now, Tommy, you don't come to me with your questions. You go to Christian because Christian's a second or third year intern. And now he's kind of your your boss. And then it gives Christian a little bit more responsibility. Um, so I'm obviously not at that point yet, um, but that's kind of where I want it to go because yeah, that, that makes it more sustainable for me and it makes it more exciting for an intern to come back 
because it gives them something more to do instead of I'm just going to stand there and lead warmups again. Well, and I like that idea too, because when you're talking about, okay, you maybe only have one intern at a time who's on the floor with you doing whatever, there's almost this forced interaction between all the, the members of the group, right? So all of a sudden, if, you know, Christian and I are, you know, in your, you know, student staff, but Christian and I have separate times when we're on the floor coaching with you and helping with the teams, there are assignments, chats, meetings, kind of informal mentorships that are being formed that requires interaction amongst amongst the staff. And, and like you said, could probably help create a an aligned but separate culture from the culture you've created amongst the group of athletes. Because uh, like you said, I think it's important that they have their kind of collective group and that it's aligned with what the the athletes are doing. But like you said, in some ways is is separate because the role and the duty is is a little bit different. So that's exciting to hear that you've you know you got 14 of them. And like you said, with 13 new members, hopefully, you know, you have a few returning next year and then you can start to, you know, really carry forward some of some of that stuff. Yeah, September is going to be busy trying to onboard onboard them but i mean from the positive side is i haven't had to change that curriculum because with only one returning intern i kind of told them like hey just you know like you're going to learn learn the same things but i've also told her like hey i might get you to lead like the warm-up brody or i might get you to do that whereas then i get to almost like trial out this this mentorship like hey how does a second third year intern respond to these kind of things Um, because she's a very keen student and and intern and athlete and so it's like okay if she fails at it then i might not might not try it again so yeah christian is there any any other question you have i do have one and you kind of touched on a little bit so yeah university sector 13 different teams 300 plus athletes tommy and i's old mentor had a great quote, Michael Cook, he's been U of A's now with men's volleyball for Team Canada there. He had the quote of, at the university sector, we're making street sushi. We can't be sushi masters because the quantity of how much is coming in is just so vast. You can't make this perfect refined piece of sushi. Um, I'm curious how your process is and how do you work through the problem of uh, 350 athletes, 13 different teams. How do you balance that, that uh, the juggling act of individualized programs, individual needs, individual sport needs, but then also logistically manage your time and not have 350 different programs. So I'm always curious to hear people's solutions to that problem. So how do you work through that with your 13 different teams goals? Hey, let's provide you the best possible product. Understand that there's going to be holes, there's going to be downfalls. It may not be exactly what someone else needs, but you're still going to get, you know, 80, 85, 90% of what you probably need. That is a fantastic question. How do I do that? Um, I think a lot of it just comes down to um, listening and learning and trying to understand each sport a little bit differently. So as every coach knows, if I were to look back at my programs from my first year to now, they'd be night and day different. Um, When I started, they were, well, actually, when I first started, they were probably more specific than they should be because, you know, I needed to impress and we needed to do all this specific stuff. And then COVID hit and we basically all did the same stuff. And then now we've kind of leaned back to, okay, now I, you know, we need to general or uh, specialize a little bit more. 
But I think from a managing standpoint, I'm always, I'm a big communication guy. So I send out um, way too many emails. Um, I've actually gotten my email locked multiple times because they thought I was a scammer because I send, you know, I send an email to 350 people at one time and they're like, well, this, this is shady. So they've locked my email a couple of times anyway. Um, but the biggest thing is, is just making sure I'm communicating everything to the best of my ability, asking for feedback and questions so that if there is anything that I'm missing, that I get the opportunity to learn and change. And some athletes are really good at that. I've had some, some really good meetings with athletes who are just like, Hey, like, this is what I think we should be doing. And, and, you know, this is why. And, and obviously I always listen to that. Um, I'm always reaching out to coaches. Um, but yeah, I'll send a weekly email, um, every Friday saying, Hey, this is what's coming down the pipe next week. You know, these are some things we need to pay attention to. Um, I, I send out usually an email middle of the week with like a, our tip of the week and, and just some information. I try to meet with our coaches, um, you know, a couple times every semester and just see what they're seeing, you know, on the court or the ice or the pitch or whatever it might be, anything that, you know, we want to, we want to change and then, um, just trying to learn. So what I've started to do is every day I learn about, um, and well, not a new sport, but a different sports. So we've got our 13 sports. So, well, sorry, not 13 sports. So I guess it's only seven sports, but every day, basically every day of the week, I, I'll go on YouTube and look up you know, how to, how to do a corner kick in soccer or, you know, how to make a perfect tackle in rugby, like just things like that, that allow me to have a better grasp of the sport. A, the most important thing for me is lingo. So I actually sound like I know what I'm talking about instead of just, yeah, I've made that mistake way too many times of being way too general in speaking. Um, but then it also helps me understand programming okay if that's how we need to tackle then maybe we need to strengthen you know x muscle or we need to work on this movement and then it helps me have better conversations with athletes which increases buy-in and then it it allows me to you know oh maybe we need to be doing this from a conditioning standpoint or we need to be you know we don't need to be doing this because you know rugby doesn't jump as much or whatever it might be but from managing all those teams i think it's just trying to spend time learning about each prioritizing each and not just yeah throwing your hands up going well I guess you know this is too much for me I'm just gonna everybody's just gonna do the same program I I want to be like I agree with with Michael Cook's um, quote 100% but to me it's like that doesn't mean I'm still not trying to make gourmet sushi I'm still trying I'm I want to give men's rugby the best product I want to give men's volleyball the best product and that's where I knew coming into my first year, it wasn't going to be perfect. Obviously I tried to make it and that didn't really work that well, but now it's, I'm trying to refine my craft and realize, okay, what is going to make what we're doing better? Just a little bit, you know, what, what is the one question I can ask this athlete, you know, what feedback am I getting from them? That's going to help me, you know, make things better. Like I tried doing, um, good mornings with our volleyball teams, men's volleyball, absolutely loved it. Women's volleyball destroyed their backs got rid of it. Boom. So it's just simple things like that, where it's like, well, that movement is really good. It's like, I don't care. I need to understand my, my scenario, my team, you know, does do Zercher squats. Are they amazing? Absolutely. Do my athletes hate them with all their guts? Yes. So do I program them? No. Why? Because I want to make sure that while it is a good adaptation, I need to be the best coach for these athletes and make sure that they understand that I'm here for them. I'm willing to make changes for them. And, but then still understand, you know, if I do throw them back in the program, 
that I explain myself and it's not just like, well, I just, you know, it's a squat movement. I just felt like doing it. Like, like I said, studying sports, studying sports science so that I know why we're doing certain things and doing the best I can to explain that allows me to, um, what, what I feel is be, yeah, be the best volleyball strength coach while still being the best rugby strength or not the best, sorry, but being a good volleyball strength coach while still being a good rugby strength coach, being a good soccer strength coach, um, so that I can make sure that they're, they're the best that can be. I got a bit of a, almost a summary kind of question. You know, we've talked about the headmaster challenge, uh, you know, Spartans and the pros, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen Cole's social media, very, very interactive with the athletes. Everything you post has the teams, the athletes, the coaches uh, in mind, whether that's on the stories, the posts, things like that. So there's, like I said, a lot of really good culture building things. And Sparta has this, like I said, has this atmosphere and this feel that I think you've done a really good job of over the last four or five years building because i think even if someone hasn't been there which i have not visited sparta myself in person but i feel like i i know what the culture and the atmosphere is like because of some of these little things that you've done that have clearly added up what's kind of the what's the future of of sparta is there anything along those lines that you got working on you know it's year six so it's like okay now i can you know maybe add this or add that just i'm just curious what the if there's something fun like that, that, that that's coming down the pipe that, you know, everyone can look forward to unless that's secret. And we have to wait until, you know, the fall semester for that to get revealed. Oh, there, actually, it's funny. There are a couple things. Um, yeah, I don't mind sharing. So one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to do is I want to highlight little wins a little bit more. So we have like our big leaderboards. So, you know, who has the top sprint on the team, the top jump, those kind of things. But I want to have, you know, something for the little guy. Because if I think back to when I was an athlete, I worked my butt off, but I sure as heck wasn't the fastest or the strongest or, or those things. So what I, I'm stealing this from uh, Cameron Ross at the, at the U of R. He's a grad assistant there. They have a whiteboard where every time an athlete hits a PR, they sign the whiteboard. And then at the end of the day or the week or whatever it is, they just, they, I think they take a picture, put it on social media, and then they erase it. So I already have, I mean, if you're in Sparta, you'd see I have about a thousand whiteboards in there with a whole bunch of stuff on it. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing another whiteboard, but we have a bunch of mirrors. And one of our mirrors is like right when you walk in, it's where like our cubbies are. And so it doesn't really get used. And so what I'm planning to do is, hey, if you hit a PR, you get to sign the mirror. And then when everybody walks in, they'll get to see your name. And, you know, it's like, oh, hey, so-and-so hit a PR. And once again, it just goes back to that name recognition of, of you know, when you go to a game on the weekend and you hear someone's name, it's like, oh, wow, hey, that was the person that, you know, was leading the headmaster challenge or that's the person that, you know, was on this on this PR board kind of thing. And so that's actually why my my um, Instagram story question yesterday was, do you call it a PR or a PB? Because I wanted to know, do I call it a PB mirror or a PR mirror? Anyway, so well, that majority... would have been a great opening question, too. Yeah, that's, that, that's that what... one at least. Christian for a track and I being track in the track acts, yeah. and field world, that one comes up quite a bit because depending yeah. on where you're from, it's one or the other. Yeah. But anyway, but it, it looks like 70% of people say PR. So I'm going with that. But anyway, just th- simple things like that where it's not, it doesn't take any more of my time. It doesn't add any more like stress to the athletes, but it's, hey, if you did something good and you want to be recognized, like put your name up there. And because I know athletes are competitive 
And so, you know, we can turn it into, hey, the team that has the most names up there, you know, gets something. Or if you get your name, I know for me, it's like if I wouldn't get my name up there for a week, like I'd be I'd be PO'd. So I need to, you know, do that kind of thing. So that's one thing. Um, but yeah, just some other little things as far as like programming, I'm, I'm changing things up. But that's probably the big culture piece thing that I'm going to add and, and see what happens. I like that idea. I like it. I would have voted yeah. for PB board, by the way, Christian. I don't know really? about you. Yeah, I, I voted on Cole's. Oh, you did? Oh, you did? Okay. And I am the minority. I say PB, unfortunately. Yeah. See, I it's interesting. So I had a conversation with with people, and and a lot of them were like, "Well, I say PR, but if I I would never say, oh, that was my personal record. Like they're like, you'd say, oh, it's my personal best, but when you just but when you shorten it, like, oh, you just say PR. So. At the end of the day, I don't think it really matters, but I'm probably going to go PR um, because we use Train Heroic for our programming, and I think they use PR. Like when you hit a new personal record, they they put a little um, a little trophy, and it says PR. Is that an so American I, company? Uh, probably, yeah. I don't know because I found it has to be American. more. The the PR is big in the states, but PB I find more relevant up here. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so, I'll have to look into it, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so just once again, just formalities of things that don't really matter, but for some reason really matter. <laughs> no, but I like that's a fun. Yeah. The, and those are the those are the things that like I, it just engages everybody in the weight room. And I feel like that adds to the, like I said, the culture that that Sparta has. Um, so, yeah, I think probably the one last thing, Christian, that we probably want to know about the culture in Sparta there's definitely speakers in there. There's definitely an audio system. I feel like you probably play music. What What do you got? What do you got going on in the weight room music life? So that's a good question. Or for so, you personally, working out. I yeah. allow you to answer either or both. Doesn't matter. Well, me personally, I don't listen to music when I work out. Usually, I listen to podcasts. So I actually have listened to you guys while I work out. Um, Appreciate but that. Unless Unless I'm gonna hit like like a really heavy set of squats, then with all due respect, I'll kind of turn you guys off and throw on some ACDC or something <laughs> like that. Cause with all due respect, your guys' voices are sweet, but like, they don't hype me up at all. Um, no, definitely not. Definitely not. But, but yeah, as an Olympic lifter, like I don't like loud music when I'm lifting. So I put on not the, the stereotypical classical music, but I'll, I'll throw on a podcast, which for some people might be worse. Um, but when athletes are in the weight room, so as a Christian school, it's gotta be clean. And that's, the only kind of thing. So if you're looking up, you know, the baby, you can, we can listen to the baby, but you got to type in the baby clean on Spotify and then play one of his playlists. Um, I, we listen to a lot of, a lot of rap music. Um, cause that's just seems to be what everybody listens to, but it depends on the group. Like men's hockey likes kind of that two thousands rock, like Nickelback kind of stuff. Um, classic Chell songs. Yeah. Ex yeah, exactly. It's all <laughs> those, it's all those things. Um, cross country likes, country music so it kind of mixes it up um big booty mix is is kind of the the soundtrack of sparta i would say like that's kind of been if people like aren't really sure i just throw on one of the big booty mixes but usually it's some kind of rap as long as it's clean which is hilarious because there's times where like i listen to a lot of music in a day and it's all clean and then i'll you know maybe throw on the song on my spotify or listen to it somewhere else where it's not clean it's like holy smokes! Like wow, that song is like really bad. Or like there's a lot, lot of explicit yeah, in there. Yeah, you become like, like muted to it. But then as soon as you're removed and put back in, you're like, whoa, it's it's different. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's super. Yeah, especially some songs. It's like, wow, there was a long time where they weren't singing, and now I know why. It's because it wasn't just like, oh, this is a cool interlude. It was like they were just dropping f bombs, like <laughs> so. Christian, what did you have playing this week when you were lifting training? I've been uh, I've discovered a new band recently here. It's almost sort of a tip of the hat to kind of like '90s female punk artists. But okay. with a modern twist. So the, the band's name is Honey Revenge, and they got some good tunes on them. But it sort of gives you some like 90s, early 2000s punk vibes, but a bit more of a modern flavor to it. So that's been what's on the speakers the last uh, the last week while I was in Vegas there, anyways. Nice. Nice. Nothing wrong with a little punk, a little, little punk energy, right? To kind of kind of get you going. Well, it's like go a little bit of a spin that's not quite the same. Doesn't have the monotony that uh, like pop punk powerhouse would have, where it's just I've heard these songs 150 times each kind of thing. It's a little bit different. I like it. It's been a, been a good mix. What about you, Tommy? Where are you at right now? Uh, I have not been listening to a lot of my, you know, usual suspects of, you know, heavy metal uh, type stuff. Um, I've been, I mean, I'm still, man, I'm always on the synth wave train. I'm always loving whatever Spotify is, is giving me. Um, so, I, I've been recently going down an FM 84 uh, rabbit hole. They're synthwave, synthwave kind of band, uh, very digital kind of video game 80 esque sound. Uh, collaborated with a lot of other artists that I've already listened to. So, yeah, just good. Just, just, yeah, it's just I, you know, hey, give me this artist on Spotify and and let it roll. So, I've been I've been diving a little deeper into into their work and I've been enjoying it. So, you know, just good for doing, you know, I've been lifting to it, but I've been doing just about everything else to it, you know, making food, sitting on the bus, doing work, all that type of stuff. So yeah, loving it. Give me my 80 sounds all the time. You know me. So yeah, cool. I mean, thank you for, for being on the show um appreciate the time uh that you're taking we know everybody's busy every every coach is very busy so super appreciative that you're taking the the time and effort to spend some time with us and kind of dive into the culture of of sparta and hearing about your journey and how you how you've built that up thank you for being a listener to the show as well i guess now you're both a guest and and listener so um you know always appreciate the support from you know, coaches like yourself and people around the community and, and everything like that. Um, if there's, where can people find you if they want to contact you, reach out to you, ask you questions, uh, see all the fun stuff you're doing in Sparta, where can, where can the audience, you know, go and find you? Yeah, no, my, my pleasure. It's been, been awesome chatting. Um, the, the easiest way to find more about kind of Sparta is, is just through our Instagram page. So it's at TWU strength. Um, and that's kind of our, our S and C one where, yeah, all this stuff we've kind of chatted about, that's where it gets posted. Um, I am on Twitter, which I don't, I more just retweet what other cool people are doing. Um, but I'm more than happy to chat via email as well. So email is cole.hergot, so my name at TWU.ca. And I'm more than happy to answer any questions about, you know, other coaches getting into it, you know, people struggling with culture stuff. Not that I'm, you know, a guru or or whatnot, but I think 
even for me, one of the biggest things was just asking other coaches what they do in certain scenarios just helps you learn. Like, like I said, like the headmaster challenge, I got that from Colin McCausland. I didn't just come up with that. I saw that from somebody else. So if any of the things I've shared have, you know, brought up some ideas, I'm more than happy to walk through how I actually practically implement that. And, and I'd be more than happy to learn from, from them as well. Oh, that's awesome. Well, excellent. Yeah. Thanks again, Cole. And uh, I look forward to the part two. I'm sure uh, we'll eventually have one day here. Absolutely. I'd love it. So yeah, thank you. Thank you, Cole, for the time. Thank you to everyone listening, everyone supporting. Uh, great to have you, have you along the ride. Uh, if there's, you know, feel free to reach out to me and Christian, if you have, you know, requests for guests or topics or anything like that. Uh, but hope you enjoyed the the episode. Thank you to everybody. And we'll, we'll see you for the next one.